getting you set for everything Cardinals. In his second game as a Cardinal. Three home runs. This is the Redbird Report Show with Danny Mack. Out there. On 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com. Welcome into the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and away we go. On the program tonight, we will visit with Joe Pfeiffer of the St. Louis Cardinals to talk about an uplifting story in times like these about a father that passed away, and one of his last wishes was to have his son's play baseball at the Cardinals Fantasy Camp. It's a great story. Also, Joe is involved with the Cardinals alumni. There's some good news if you're a David Freeze fan. How will a limited draft affect Major League Baseball and uh, also the amateur players, guys in college and high school? I'll visit with Kyle Peterson. He's a lead college baseball analyst on ESPN. We will start, though, with Ben Fredrickson of the Post-Dispatch. And opening day was to be last week in Cincinnati. The home opener is to be this week, but obviously that will not be taking place. And in times like these, Ben, I, I know you're trying to stay with many of your articles and the, the various things that you say, uh, whether it be on the local airwaves or uh, in the paper or on Twitter. You're just uh, you're trying to stay positive through this. Absolutely. I think that's really the only way we, we can view it. And, you know, it's it's we're in a place in, in St. Louis and with the Cardinals where opening day is never taken for granted. Um, it is, you know, basically a, an official holiday, um, whether it starts in Cincinnati or, or at Bush Stadium. And there's almost, you know, there's really two. There's opening day and then the, the home opener, as there as there would have been this year. We'll see what the schedule looks like when it comes out after this adjustment. But, you know, so it's never overlooked. But but this will make it even more memorable when it when it does happen. And I was talking with with Tony Larusa this week about kind of how he's hanging in there because. <laughs> this is the longest that he will have gone in his adult life without watching a baseball game. And he's, he's about to come out of his skin, I think. But he said, you know, this is going to be similar to after nine 11 where, you know, Jack Buck read the poem and, and it was that kind of just, it was basically the, the sights and sounds of baseball were the sights and sound of America kind of getting back on its feet. And I think this will be similar in some ways in some ways more powerful because of the length of the layoff and the fact that it's been all sports and I'm guilty. And I'll admit this. I'm definitely guilty of, of taking baseball for granted in that it's, it's every day and it's the grind. And it, you know, it's so long, seven and a half months, if you throw in spring training and, and there are days where you go, okay, you know, you know, baseball will be back. Baseball, baseball will have another game the next day. And this game's not that important. And when do the games really get important? And, and then they're gone and you realize like the routine and just the the beauty of having it every single day games all over the country and you know for baseball a sport that that is beloved and a sport that is always trying to figure out where it fits and how it grows and maybe this in some ways will be a reminder to folks that there's beauty in the routineness of it and and i hope that 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 is something that we take forward and and i certainly know that that will be felt when it gets back how was your conversation with tony <laughs> It was funny because, you know, Tony, you know, inside baseball here, I was the post-dispatch intern in uh, 2011. And mostly that meant I I kept to myself and and tried not to get in anyone's way. And when I did get down to, you know, the ballpark, they would send me down to, you know, Tony's pre- and post-games. And and I would find, you know, the spot farthest away in the room and try not to 
try not to mess anything up. Um, and I'll never forget this. One of my first memories of, of that internship that summer, obviously a memorable summer, um, and where things went from there after, after I went back to school at Mizzou for that 2011 team, I was sitting in there and Bob Knight is in there. So it's Tony Lusa and Bob Knight. And I'm going, what am I doing in this room? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so that's, that was, that's how Tony remembers me, but he was great. I mean, I sent him a text and I said, Hey, do you have time to talk about this? And immediately my phone rings. And I think he's so he, all he can do is talk right now. So he's been on the phone with all of his guys talking ball and, and they're itching, you know, to get back at it. But I thought that his, his state of mind on this is really good. He said, look, this is bigger than us. We've, we're ultimately entertainers, whether you write about it, whether you talk about it, whether you play it, whether you manage it. And there are this, there are things right now that are more important and that's making sure everybody's in the best way to, to stay healthy and, and it will be back. And, and when it will be back, it will be special because of kind of the reminder. Now, Tony doesn't need a reminder about the importance of baseball. Um, <laughs> no, you don't either. Um, so he's, he's excited and he's really happy with where he is right now. Um, you know, the angels have been a great fit for him. I didn't know this, Dan, you probably did. He knows Joe Madden going back to like the nineties. Oh so yeah. Dave Duncan used to do these, you know, baseball clinics over in Europe and, um, Joe Madden was a part of that kind of circuit. So Dave Duncan would tell Tony La Russa back going back to the Oakland days, like, hey, there's a guy you need to pay attention to. This guy's got it. And that's when Tony and, and Joe first met. He has a great relationship with Artie Moreno. And then, of course, the chance to be around Albert, I think, was the, the icing on the cake. And, you know, he, he it's really cool to hear him talk about Albert, but also how much he, Albert he sees in Mike Trout. And that's kind of neat when you really think about it. You know, Albert's not what he once was, of course. We, none of us are as we get as we get older, especially baseball players. But the fact that he has had that relationship with Albert um, is pretty special when you think about two of the greatest of all time sharing a team. So that was kind of a neat um, part of the conversation. And, and mostly I thought his perspective, just saying, hang in there. You know, we'll get through this. And I did ask him, I said, hey, are you enjoying these replays of all these old games? I mean, the guy had, you know, nearly 1,500 wins with the with the Cardinals. And I said, are you going back and watching some of them? And he kind of scoffed. He said, look, I know what happens in those games. He would much rather have the unknown of a new game. And I did ask him, I said, did you even think about retiring? Because we all wondered after the Red Sox, you know, after it ended there, might he, might he hang it up? And he said, I've got stuff to give back to the game. And as long as somebody's interested, then then I want to give back. So, um, that's that's where he is. He's healthy. He's staying in Arizona because he was exposed, obviously, to so many guys and doesn't quite want to go back to, to California until he knows he doesn't have anything. But he should be getting the all clear here before too long. Adam Wainwright has made a significant donation, and it's going to help out minor leaguers, isn't it? It is, yeah. Adam Wainwright stepping up with uh, $250,000 to uh, to give to an organization that is working to to – to get more money to minor leaguers, it's called more than baseball. So, you know, we've seen this become a bigger topic of conversation here in recent years. Um, you know, minor league, minor league pay, and I think, you know, no one will will sit here and say that playing baseball for a living is not a great job. But those minor leaguers don't don't make a lot, and I struggle with this sometimes because you know there are a lot of businesses that don't make a lot of money until you really break through a lot in the entertainment, whether you're a musician or an artist. And sometimes people have to get out of those businesses to go try to make more money doing something else. But I think we can all agree that, you know, a business that makes as much money as baseball should be able to have minor leaguers get by on a livable, 
livable wage. And I thought it was good that Major League Baseball decided to keep paying those guys their weekly stipends, about $400 a week during the shutdown. Um, but, you know, there are a few major leaguers across the game who said, hey, we want to do more. We want to try to find ways to take care of these guys a little better. And $250,000 from adding in Jenny Wainwright will go a lot toward helping Cardinals minor leaguers. I'm, I'm not surprised that he did it. But uh, but but uh, it is impressive and deserves to be complimented. And he's not the only one, man. I mean, Dexter Fowler is doing a lot of good work out in Las Vegas. Um, you know, challenging people to donate to the efforts going on out there to to help with the coronavirus uh, treatment and relief. And he's matching some of those donations. Um, we're we're seeing some some players around our area with ties to our community doing a lot of good. In terms of, and I get asked this all the time, what, what's it going to look like when we come back? And nobody knows, but who are the teams that are in best position to have success? And let's talk uh, baseball specifically here. I think the Cardinals would have a great shot just because of what we saw down in spring training, that their pitching was so good. You'd have to think that rosters would be expanded, especially with double headers potentially coming our way and the fact that there's a shortened spring training coming our way if and when we get there. So to me, depth in pitching is going to be number one. Yeah, I can't agree more. I think the, the Cardinals, if you, if you ranked the teams based off of you know pitchers that you would feel comfortable with starting a game if you had to, I don't know of a team that has more available in-house now than the St. Louis Cardinals, um, just starters alone. I mean, you can. Derek Gould and I had a conversation based off of an Alex Reyes quote about you know the fact that you might be able to come up with two really decent major league rotations off the Cardinals roster as it stands. And we kind of tried to we actually expanded that idea. I think that's going to be an upcoming uh, story at stltoday.com about you know could could that be possible? You know, could you actually build a rotation and a, and a bullpen. Um, I don't know that it would be two contending rotations, but I think you could have two passable ones, and that depth is going to be huge for a lot of reasons. Um, one, because there's going to be injuries, man. I mean, there will be guys who come back and because of this this hiccup in the scheduling get hurt, you know, have soreness, have dead arm issues. That's just going to happen. It's going to happen all across the game. So the deeper you are, the the more you can combat that. I think the other thing is going to be just the Cardinals' rich history and tradition in, in taking care of and developing pitchers. I mean, that's something that, that, you know, we can talk a lot about what the Cardinals haven't done as well in recent years, and there's a list there. I mean, their free agent signings haven't been great. they got to score more runs. I mean, we're not shying over or, or, or skating over those topics. We've talked about them a lot. But one thing they do is develop and employ and, and deploy pitching. And, and they, that's going to benefit them, I think, no matter what this season looks like. Especially, and I saw this mentioned in the the story that Jeff Passan had recently at ESPN, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Especially if the new rules that are negotiated between the the commissioner's office and the players' union allow for additional pitchers on the roster, and that would make sense because you you know you're going to be taking care of arms differently. You're going to need more. Um, especially if you rush to get this off the ground. And the Cardinals being able to take more pitchers than they initially thought, that will help them because they've got more than enough guys who can pitch at the major league level. They're going to send guys to Memphis who would be starting or holding key relief roles for other major league teams. And if they're able to expand that net and take more of those arms with them and use them, then they're going to benefit from that. The Cardinals' option for players, Henesis Cabrera, Alex Reyes, 
Andrew Kisner and Junior Fernandez, and a couple of those guys I thought could be on the major league roster. What what was your take on on seeing those guys sent, at least in a official capacity, um, paper capacity, if you will, to AAA? Well, I think it would have been head scratching, perhaps, if it wasn't the if it wasn't the case that we're in a shutdown right now. So you know we don't know quite yet what the rosters were going to look like. I mean, some of these guys could very well be on the on the roster once they find out what the roster space is. So I think all those guys you mentioned will pitch at some point in St. Louis this year, unless they're dealt for some reason. But but I think uh, I think you're going to to see those guys have impacts in different roles, maybe if not right away, um, perhaps perhaps so if they do you know expand the the group of pitchers that can come. Not surprised about Andrew Kisner. Um, he's going to be the everyday starter in Memphis and um, better than sitting behind, you know, Yadier Molina and not playing. Now, if there's some sort of injury or issue with Yadier where he's going to miss extended time, then I think Kisner's up the next day. But Molina and Matt Wieters will be your will be your, your catchers in St. Louis unless there's some sort of, of issue there. But, but you're right, Dan. I think all those guys, Reyes, Cabrera, will be in St. Louis this year, probably sooner rather than later. Junior um, Fernandez. Fernandez yeah. I think he could be I think he could be as well. I think it'll maybe be a little more delayed. He kind of was was flirting with maybe a chance to get in that closer discussion and they started kind of increasing his opportunities in a little more realistic situations. He looked great against guys who had big numbers, not in the stat line but on the back of their uniforms in spring training. And, and looked a little more human against some of the more more polished hitters. So I think his stuff plays. I think his tenacity is great. I, I would not rule him out as a potential closer option this year. I'm not sure it'll be right away, though. That's Ben Fredrickson of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. And coming up, we will visit with Joe Pfeiffer of the St. Louis Cardinals and some good news concerning, well, maybe David Freeze being more involved. We'll talk about that when we come back. We are right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. Well, at this time, there are, well, no sports, but yet you can still talk about sports and the impact of sports and what sports means to all of us. And that's one of the things I want to try to do on the website is to come up with great stories and inspiring stories, things that make you feel good in times that are down right now. And I have Joe Pfeiffer from the St. Louis Cardinals with me. And Joe has done the kids clinics over the years. He's done the fantasy camps at Cooperstown down in Florida at Bush Stadium. Uh, there's so much to talk about how baseball can bring a community back. And uh, Joe, as always, I appreciate your time. It's always fun to talk a little baseball even during these times, isn't it? It is. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate the time. And yeah, I've actually heard from a lot of our fantasy campers uh, over the last couple of weeks, and they are craving baseball. They're throwing in their DVDs of the 2011 World Series, and they're they're trying to get what they can right now while we all just kind of wait. You know, I was thinking about different things to do on the website as we all wait, and I thought, you know, one of my favorite things I've done in the last, I would say, six months is write an article, a little piece. I'm not a great writer, Joe, but I try my best. (laughs) And so the piece, though, was about a couple of brothers that got together at Fantasy Camp not that long ago and celebrated the life of their late father. And they had a cutout of all things, a life-size cutout of their dad 
at camp. And it's just an emotional story. I will make sure that people can see that on the website if you haven't read it before. But tell us a little bit about that, because you know that family well. You know the father and, and knew about him and the history with the camp and then also his sons coming together and what that what that all meant for them, just baseball and coming together. Yeah, I encourage anybody to go to your site and read that article from this past January. Um, you're talking about the Roseboro family, and uh, Dennis is the father who uh, just recently passed away. And um, baseball really united that family, their son Stephen and Andrew. And um, it was really Dennis. Fantasy camp was Dennis's way to really reconnect uh, for lost time with his boys. And and uh, it was it, Danny was actually his dying wish that. Uh, his boys have this life-size cutout of him at fantasy camp. Literally his, camp. literally, literally, at, yeah. Yeah. Literally his wish that they go to fantasy camp, honor him, remember him and just have a great time playing baseball with the birds on the bat. And they did that this January. And, uh, um, it was just a really unique opportunity. Steven did a great job in one of our morning meetings and you know how our morning meetings are They're they're very uh, colorful, should I say, and entertaining, but, but it was a moment of just pure, authenticity when Steven stood up and talked about the impact that his dad has had on his life, the impact that baseball has had on his life, that the Cardinals, the Cardinals families had on their life. And to see those two brothers play over the course of four days and seven games together and uh, really, you know, have the cutout of their father with them everywhere that they went and, and how our alumni, we had 39 former Cardinals at that camp and how those guys embrace that family. Um, you know, that, that's what this is all about and um, the memories that are made through the game of baseball and the connections that are made. That's why everyone's missing it so much right now. So uh, that's what fantasy camp's all about is the camaraderie, the connection and the family. I kind of think it's an act of God. As I talked to the Roseboro's, I um, was, and there were so many games going on at the time and guys that could be in the clubhouse or on a field or maybe on their phone if they were between games and you know checking in with family or work or whatever the case was and I just happened to be at the game in which one of his sons hits the only home run in camp and I get him yeah. rounding third base I mean yeah. how does that happen it's incredible your timing, your timing was impeccable that was the only home it's unbelievable run that left the ballpark uh, in our camp this past January uh, you know with our the outfielders ability sometimes we have some in markers <laughs> in camp but he, he he ripped it out of the park and uh, uh, those 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 guys can play ball those Roseboro boys can play ball actually Steven the older brothers in our camp hall of fame and uh, they're ball players and uh yeah, your timing was incredible. That was uh, that was on day what day one. Day one you caught that home run of uh, of camp this and past just, January. I, Joe, I'm going around just trying to get some guys, you know, with the ball going through their legs. Maybe somebody <laughs> trying to catch a pop up, and this guy hits a home run. So it right. was it's like an act of God. Um, yeah, pretty special. What is it like? You know, the fantasy camp, not necessarily going down there and getting your uniform and and being. Um, cause I want this to be special for people when they hear it. Uh, it, it's not just the baseball, but it's, it's so much the lifelong friendships that are developed. What are some of the other stories that you've heard and, and seen developed over the years with these camps? Well, I mean, I just, I just look at Dave LaPointe as an example. Dave's, uh, we just celebrated 20 years of camps this January. Dave's been a part of it for a good 18 and, and he has such a, multitude of relationships and friendships and business partnerships that have, have come from camp and he coached the same team for the better part of a decade down there 
Um, and now he plays more of a role as, as my assistant commissioner at camp. But, uh, I mean, just, just those connections, these guys, we've become lifelong friends through this thing. I actually can't imagine my circle of friends at this point in my life without th- these individuals. And then that's what it's become. And it, and it's not just a camper to camper, customer to customer thing. It's very much Cardinals alumni to camper experience. I mean, uh, you know, the connection that in two years that Ted Simmons has made with people at this camp, uh, Heartland Coca-Cola, who's our main sponsor of all of our alumni programming and fantasy camps. Uh, Ted's been their manager the last two years and the connections that, you know, he knows if he wants to go to a concert in Kansas city, he calls Kirk Schnurbush across the state and they hook him up and he's going to that concert. That that's kind of the result of this experience. It's so much more, you know, a lot of people go into camp thinking this is my bucket list opportunity. It's a 50th birthday gift it's a father's day gift a christmas gift and then they keep they crave it they come back for more and it's 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 beyond baseball it's a result of the relationships and the friendships i mean the connections that people have made with ozzy smith through this camp ozzy's been a part of the camp now for going on a a decade and david Eckstein in his first two years of camp now people got to connect with lance berkman on a personal level and understand how smart a guy he is and he, he did a hitting instruction session at this camp that was just unbelievable. Actually, Adron Chambers videoed it, put, put it on Facebook, and I think it got 30,000 views. And just Lance's simplistic approach to hitting. But you think about that Hall of Fame-type player talking hitting for 20 minutes to these guys. Um, you know, it's just it's one thing after another. Um, and it's the reason people take it off their bucket list and say, I've got to make this an annual thing because – it's it, it, in very much it's very much same format annually, but every year everybody comes back and says this was so different, this was better, this was unique. You, you, there's more alumni involved now than ever before, and and that's just going to continue and continue. I mean, I, I look forward, Danny, to next year already to the 2021 year when we celebrate the 10 year reunion of our 11 team and the amount of guys that we're engaged with from that club, including David Freeze and Lance Berkman and Jake Westbrook and Chris Carpenter. And uh, just to see how those guys are starting to engage on uh, the other side now that they're not current players. It's just, uh, it's just special. And it's just a unique way for our fans to connect with our history. Yeah. I'm going to get into that in just a moment. I want to go back though, to the teaching and I am dead serious I am dead serious when I say this. How old is Ozzy now? Ozzy's coming up on 65. Yeah. yeah. I, I honestly think, and I'm dead serious when I say this, because I've seen him do it now multiple times with the one-on-one instruction when he's at shortstop and and showing how to field a ground ball and how he did it and some of the things that maybe you want to do to teach your kids, or in this case, teach the campers. And so he starts taking ground balls I think for one night you'd be fine with Ozzy in a major league game still. <laughs> if, yes. As long as it's hit right at him, he's right. going to gobble that thing up. Now, is the range there? Probably not, <laughs> but it's still pretty darn good. I think you'd get away with it for a game. He's unbelievable. I, I, I don't disagree with that at all, and his arm's probably feeling a lot better yeah. than it did in 1996 post-surgery. So it's incredible. He, he's incredible. And uh, his ability to explain the position, illustrate it, at his, at his Hall of Fame lever, level and, and kind of dumb it down 
for the rest of us is is incredible. One of the things that Joe Pfeiffer does, my guest is, and, and I love this. You, you're tied into the alumni of the St. Louis Cardinals, not only uh, doing things like the fantasy camps and whatnot, but but Joe is also intimately involved with just about every alumni appearance, and that could be across the street at Ballpark Village. It could be in the Cardinals Hall of Fame and Museum. It could be a David Freeze night. And that's the guy I want to ask you about, David Freeze, mm-hmm. because um, I, I saw David, I guess it was about, I was doing a show at 101, and he popped in because he loves music, and all those stations are kind of clustered in there. And we said, come on on the air with us. And, and so it's been about a month ago, I guess, month mm-hmm. and a half. Yeah. So yeah. He, he, he hopped on. And I've known David for a long time, and I, I knew him very well as a player, and I, I absolutely love him. And as a person, as a ball player, everything he's done for our community and that special night and special run that he had in 2011. But the thing that I want to get into, and he's going to have an appearance, hopefully, fingers crossed, at the ballpark this year, but mm-hmm. he has, and maybe you can shed some light on this, but he really is at peace, in my mind, with the decision to retire. So it's not like he's looking back and going, oh, man, I, I should have done this or I should do this or that. That's number one. And number two, and most importantly, with all the pressure that comes around with being a hometown hero, he seems to be at peace with that and now is embracing it and wants to be more engaged with the Cardinals organization. Do you, do you get that sense, too? Yeah, and I and I I get the sense it's accelerated, Dan, because, you know, and in, in you're close friends with Rick Horton, as, as, am, as am I, and, and we've talked about this before from an alumni perspective, that it, sometimes it's as much as a, as a two-year grieving process when a guy leaves the game, just to adjust to that. Um, this was the focal part of your life. Everything revolved around it. And when David was in town with the Dodgers last April, um, I actually went down to say hi to him because I was close with him like you were when he was a current player. We did a lot of cool things together on the on the business side. And uh, and I had a request for him that someone had for the offseason. He's like, he's like, Joe, just hold tight. He's like, this is it. This is going to be it for me. So he let me know that in April. And he's like, and I'll connect with you after. So I wanted to really honor that space um, because I know that not everybody's ready when they, when they get out of that uniform, are they ready to go into some sort of ambassador or alumni role? So when he announced his retirement officially in October, I just sent him a text and said, Hey man, look forward to connecting with you in your time. And I was literally in Florida in Jupiter running our camp in January. Uh, it was before, right before camp started the day before. And he's like, I want to talk to you today. And we had about a 30 or 45 minute call that was just incredibly refreshing and Um, just to hear him talk about, you know, he's like, you know, I loved my time in LA. The Dodgers were great to me. I played with for a variety of different teams, but St. Louis is my home. The Cardinals are my team and they're the ones I'm going to engage with on, on the alumni side of uh, what you guys do. And we, we've already laid out a lot over the course of uh, the end of this season, rolling into 2021. So uh, I'm incredibly excited about, his state of mind where he is to your point i think that you know their second child is due in june so he's kind of holding tight on anything until they get beyond um, the birth and and just the, you know his wife and his children and he's just in a great place and and honestly i think even accelerated to a place where he is right now this quickly after he's already announced his retirement it's just incredibly refreshing and i'm excited what it means for 
Cardinals fans in the organization and David uh, moving forward. Yeah, me too. And and he just did a podcast. I don't know if you listened to it with Buster Olney. And Buster now with the game shut down is kind of looking back at the greatest games in in the, the sport. And so he got a hold of David. And they did like 45 to 50 minutes with a good, I'd say, 90% of it on game six. And he's going basically, Joe, pitch by pitch by pitch in his at-bats, um, where guys were, the bunt plays, who was up, who's down to the final strike, uh, facing Philly. I mean, it's just it's so cool to listen to him because now you're hearing a guy that's totally at peace and says, okay, this not only was life-changing for me, but it's been life-changing for a community. And so he's yeah. embracing it, and I think that's awesome. And I can you imagine if there's a night, and it will be, when it's dedicated to David Freeze, what that reception and what that night will be like in St. Louis? Yeah, and I'm hoping it's still August 11th as we planned. He's uh, you know coming back for Budweiser Bash, and uh, we'll be throwing out the first pitch that night, and that'll be his first public appearance back. Uh, at Bush Stadium, and and man, <laughs> I can't even, I can hardly even visualize it. And as you were even describing Game Six, you know, just the emotions and up and down of a baseball game, especially with the impact of a, a elimination game, the World Series. I mean, Danny, that the first five innings of that game were atrocious. Ter- and, remember, and David you know, even says that he goes, you know, I had a ball hit off the top of my head for God's <laughs> yeah, sakes, you know? Yeah, yeah. It so, just shows the shows the beauty of that game that uh, the first five innings were just absolutely terrible, and then it ends up being arguably the greatest game in club history. That's just so unique. What other sport can can do that? Absolutely. Um, so with fantasy camps and with the sport right now and sports in general, things are on hold. But you do have a camp coming up. I know it's going to be um, again at Bush Stadium. You've got one in Cooperstown. Fingers crossed. Might be a little bit tough, but then you also think about the, the things for kids too. And I know you're involved with the kids clinics and whatnot. But at some point, we hope to be talking baseball and and getting people back to the ballpark. But you know, most importantly, getting back to just the game in general. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Uh, and and hearing your voice. Uh, calling Cardinals games to bring us back to a sense of normalcy will be a, a great thing for everyone, especially Cardinals fans. And um, yeah, I'm, we're, we're looking forward still to delivering on our kids clinic. Scott Terry does an amazing job running our alumni ambassador program and uh, working with all of our alumni that, that manage our kids clinics. We're excited. Um, you know, once we can get these underway, Paul DeYoung uh, is the face of uh, our seven of our 12 clinics, seven are local five or regional. So Paul will be at, at our local uh, kids clinics this summer as Harrison Bader was last year. So really cool, unique opportunity for kids age seven to 13 there uh, to experience that. And then to your point on our St. Louis fantasy camp, that's September 16 to 19. We're almost sold out. We've got, we've got a handful of spots left, bench coach and uh, camper spots for the St. Louis camp. And that'll be David Freeze's first camp. Um, as an alumni so he'll be the face of that camp experience um, and we play at St. Louis University for a couple of days and then wrap up at Bush Stadium there's a, uh, a really cool dinner event at Ballpark Village and Cardinals Nation that'll feature David Freeze in a private autograph session for the campers there and a special dinner event uh, hearing from David and uh, so really some fun things to look forward to um, I know it's tough right now as we're all in self-isolation and uh, uh, trying to find ways to keep ourselves busy and active. So, um, but um, you know, on the other side of this thing, we're, 
we've got some fun things to look forward to on the alumni side of Cardinals baseball. It's well put. Hey, Joe, thanks. Be safe to you and your family, and uh, we will have baseball before you know it. Thanks so much. Same, same to you, Danny. Best to all the Cardinals fans out there. Thank you. We are right back to it. More Cardinals talk right now. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. This is the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. Hope you enjoyed my visit with Ben Fredrickson as well as Joe Pfeiffer. Now let's switch gears and talk about the college game and how the draft is going to be different, what it means going forward. I visited with Kyle Peterson uh, last week and we got into what may happen, what is going to happen, and then how it affects uh, the the young kids that are trying to make a name for themselves get drafted and get into uh, pro ball. So, Kyle Peterson, always good to visit with him. Hi, bud. Uh, well, we're a little bit different world than we were a few weeks ago, and we deal with what we can deal with. So, I, I, at any rate, it's good to talk to you, albeit the circumstances are a little strange. Do we have to have a system, in your opinion, that funnels maybe some of the kids out? Um, in, in a good way is what I mean here, too, in that the, the fact is that many of these kids were going to get drafted, and you have an incoming freshman class, and it lightens the load a little bit. Do you think that's a fair statement? It's a massive statement. I mean, that's the way the system works, right? So, I mean, college baseball lives in in its own world when it comes to to amateur athletics because, you know, when when you look at college football and a coach is trying to set his his roster for the fall, you already know which guys aren't going to be there. If they if they declare for the draft, they're gone. Same thing for the NBA. If you declare for draft and go into the draft, you're gone. It's not the way it works in baseball. And so the way that it's been in the past is the draft happens in June. There's a signing date sometimes in July. And then ultimately colleges around the country have from the middle of July until whenever classes start to decide exactly, okay, how much scholarship money do I have left? Who signed that I didn't think was going to sign? Vice versa, who didn't sign that I thought was going to sign? And let's put everything together. The biggest unknown this year is when is that date or is there a date? It sounds like there will be. And then how much flexibility do I have on a one- or a two-year basis as opposed to what the rules were coming in. So it's just a college baseball is a different environment than college football and college basketball in dealing with your rosters because there's so much fluidity really until the middle of the summer as to which guys are actually going to show up on campus and which aren't. Yeah, and it also trickles down to what you think about high school kids too. I mean, you think about it, if you're a college coach and you're at an SEC school and you're getting some of the top high school kids in the country – will or will they not be drafted? I mean, that, that's got to fall into this, too, to give you some clarity moving forward, I would imagine, as well. It's massive. Every year it is because, you, you know, by and large, you have to assume, especially at the top programs, that, that your recruiting class when you sign them is going to look different than your recruiting class when they step onto campus. Because ultimately, you're going to take some chances on some kids that may be drafted at a point that they're going to sign out of high school. If you don't have a draft, what do those high school kids do now? The top high school kids probably either go junior college or nothing at all and wait for the draft the following year so you don't have to go to college for three years in order to get to that point. But again, I mean, listen, man, it's what we're dealing with in our world right now. It's the uncertainty that everybody gets uncomfortable with. And if you don't know ultimately, okay, here's the rules. Here's when everybody has to sign by. Here's how much roster flexibility you have. Here's how much, if any, additional scholarship money you have for the next year or two. Okay, now we can deal with it. But they just need to understand what they're dealing with. And to be fair, the kids do too. 
There's no doubt about it. Um, when you look at, uh, let's say you're a parent of a college kid or a high school kid that was going to be, you know, let's just say one through five in rounds. And as you know, things can change if you have a good season or an uptick in your velocity. What do you do if you're a kid right now? Are you are you, are you sending video to scouts and, you know, guys that run drafts? Uh, what, what do you do right now? What are you hearing? I don't know yet. I mean, I think, you know, just based on the fact that everybody is, is still – involved in social distancing to some extent and and you know it's not like you can go out and have a a large-scale combine tomorrow but i think the biggest difference now and this if this had happened even five years ago is just the availability of of data and analytics on a very micro basis so for instance i live in omaha and there's a there's a guy named here named tom oldham here that runs a, a great i don't know what you want to call it I mean, facility i guess but he has rap soto he has the edutronic. He has the things that if you have that data and a scout can see it, that's worth a lot more than a kid just throwing on film. And I can't exactly see what the numbers are going to tell me. And so I think the more of that stuff that is readily available to kids at any age, whether they're in high school or college, and that can get disseminated into, into the scouting ranks, then you actually have something you can go back on and compare player A to player B when this year you really don't have many stats to compare them to. So I think it differentiates this year as opposed to if this had happened five, six, seven years ago. You you are doing some of the biggest games in college baseball, meaning then biggest players, best players, guys are going to get drafted. And because of that, you're on the, the circuit of seeing all the scouts. And I know you're very close to many of them. What's their life like right now? What, what do you, when you talk to a scout, what are they saying? Well, the first was, you know, we need to know what we're, what we're dealing with first. No different than, than college coaches. The second is timing. The third is, you know, how different is it going to look from what it was in the past? I think the absolute is you're going to always allocate your resources top, towards the top end of the draft because ultimately that gives you the best chance for success. But maybe you have to do it more this year. And you have a secondary group that is looking at those kids that don't go in the drafted component of it and know that you could have a significant year to – Sign free agents, albeit, which from a pro standpoint, this is a benefit to organizations, but at numbers that I think will be very controlled. It's where I think you'll, you'll have a ceiling as far as what you can pay guys from a free agent standpoint and potentially a floor. Um, and so it just it, it creates opportunity. I would assume it also creates some uncertainty because you're having to make multi-million dollar decisions in some cases based on not as much data as you usually have. So you know, if, if you've done a lot of stuff ahead of time and you were comfortable with where you stood just from an information standpoint on March 1st, probably going to put you a little bit further out front than others. I wonder if Major League Baseball, if and when that uh, the restrictions in our country are dropped, I wonder if they would think about putting some of the top players in a showcase game of some sort just to see where, where guys are or if guys were on the fringe and scouts wanted to see them if they would be available to do that I, I i would imagine that's maybe on the table what do you think yeah i would think it has to be <clears throat> i mean whether you take um you know you you take a setup like cape cod or the Northwoods Woods yes. or something that already has an infrastructure in place and say you know what landscape's different and literally we're going to take the top 250 players in the country not just those that aren't draft eligible well or the top 250 draft eligible players in the country and send them all out there because then you have, I mean, you have a glorified combine component to it with some actual games that you can scout. In an ideal world, I think you would want that for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks before you really had to make these types of decisions. 
um, I'd be floored if something like that doesn't happen. What's the structure? I mean, is it, you know, we're going to do a week long deal at X, wherever it is, or is it, we're going to, you know, allocate 250 guys among eight different teams, whatever the numbers are, we're going to play a three week season. We're going to give scouts the ability to go, you know, work these guys out individually if they want to, and then we're going to have a draft. I don't know what it looks like, but I would be surprised if, if there's nothing, I, I think that, that you need something. The second part of that, like we see in the NFL and the NBA is if you're the top line guy, if I'm Asa Lacey, left-hander at Texas A&M, which mm-hmm. is going to be in the discussion to go one, one, why am I going? Exactly. You know, I, you've, you got the book, man. I mean, I'm left-handed. I throw 98. I struck out two guys in the inning this year and, there's not a whole lot that look like me. So you're going to have some of those internal discussions as to what do I gain by going into a situation like that? If you're the back end of the first round guy, if you're the fifth round guy, hell yes, I'm going to go because all I can do is ideally help myself from a draft standpoint. But if you're Lacey Torkelson, uh, Nick Gonzalez, the, the top, top end college guys that are probably going to go top five overall, I'm not quite sure what the benefit is. I also think with baseball, too, in the college game, it's so different where you can find gems at D2, some at D3, maybe NAIA, junior college, certainly. The trickle-out effect of that has not been discussed. It's always been about Division I major programs, and this is different. Baseball is way different. I'm sure that's something you've thought about, too. You know, I I talked to a, um, a scouting director a few weeks ago about this very thing. And his point was, you know, we think that the broader base to your scouting department is right now to, to where they, they've been able to see some of those that you just referenced because there are major league players there. This is where this draft can have the biggest impact on any team, but potentially smaller market teams. Because if you, if you had enough information to where you can get some guys on the free agent market or at the back end of whatever draft this looks like that otherwise – if you play a full season, more eyes would have seen and they would have gone up a draft a draft pool. That's a huge advantage, man. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think that, I mean, there's the top end guys, there's division one guys that, that yes, I mean, the, the first few rounds are usually going to be littered with those guys, but there's big leaguers all over the place. And if you can find those potential big leaguers in a year like this, the reality is you're probably going to get them later in the draft or as a free agent cost you less money to get them in your system and i'll wrap it up with this uh you talk to coaches across the country just their general reaction to what's happening the unknown all that what what do you what's the general feeling you're hearing from college baseball coaches well i think there was a sense of disbelief that we all had at the beginning of do we really need to do this and now it's it's abundantly clear that we did now it's wait and see and how much flexibility am i going to have if any on my rosters i mean College rosters are set at 35 guys. The rules right now say that 27 of those 35 have to be on scholarship, and you've got 11.7 scholarships total. So if we're going to give guys an extra year of eligibility, and mind you, you still have high school seniors that enter into college, you got to give them some flexibility. Roster size has to grow a little bit. Scholarship size has to go a little bit. There has to be some, I would say, some easing of, of scholarship limitations. And I'm not against allowing guys to transfer either and make them immediately eligible because I think it could benefit some of the mid-majors, some of those that could get caught up in this thing a little bit to where, you know, if you're going to be the Tuesday starter at name your power five conference, but I can go to a mid-major, I know I'm going to pitch on the weekend every weekend or whatever it may be. I think some some flexibility for the kids at this point wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing either. Yeah, I don't either. 
I miss hearing your voice, my man. You're the best in baseball. I appreciate your time, and uh, we will get through this. Thanks so much. Buddy, we will, and I look forward to hearing you out there, too. More of the Cardinals talk you know and love. This is the Redbird Report with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler Kia. That does it for the Redbird Report on 101 ESPN. We have this show every week. Don't forget, I visit with Bernie Miklas every Monday morning. Anthony Stalter, Jamie Rivers on Wednesday, and then the Fast Lane on Friday. This Thursday, it is Hopening Day on 101 ESPN. Not Opening Day, but Hopening Day. Would have been the Cardinals' home opener, but obviously that's not going to take place. But you'll be hearing from numerous people around the game and from your St. Louis Cardinals on Thursday all day long right here on 101 ESPN. That was the Danny Mac Report on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Jim Butler, the Kia powerhouse. Shop JimButlerKia.com.